I can't remember what it was. It might have been TLC, which I think is the one that's coming up, right? Uh, my buddy CJ is getting married. I give them the, the date like eight months out, and I say, my friend is getting married on this day. I am not missing it. And Michael Hayes says, that's a pay-per-view. And I say, yep. So, you know, like a month before, they're like, oh, you're wrestling The Shield three-on-one at the pay-per-view. And I'm just like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I told you guys, the pay-per-view itself. Um, it's me versus The Shield three-on-one. This is the, the most pushed three guys since, like, Bobby Lashley. They pushed, uh, they pushed and protected all three guys. And they're like, you're going over. And I was like, uh, okay, that's what you want. And then they, they stress, and they grab me, and they stress me. Got to make Roman look really, really strong. No, I was just gonna fucking shit on him and beat him. I was just, I was just gonna tear through him and fucking Superman the shit out of him and just GTS all three of them at the same time. You know, whatever. I was like, yeah, I get it. Okay. So while we're putting the match together, every two minutes, somebody new is coming up to me. Hey, you gotta make him look really strong. So I got so sick of Michael Hayes and everybody else coming up to me, people who aren't even involved in the match. They making him look really strong, right? And then finally I said, you know what? You know what would make him look really strong? If they beat Because three guys can't beat one guy. That's fucking dumb. But no, no, but Vince wants you to go over. But you gotta make him look God damn it! I fucking get it! I know how to do the job. Shut the fuck up! This, I don't know, this will probably blow some people's minds, and then some people will be like, oh, you're full of shit. I don't fucking care either way. Uh, the Shield was my idea, uh, but we want to stick a stable with you. We want to give you Big Show as your heater. I immediately groaned. I love Show to Death, but that's not a good idea. Uh, they wanted to put Daniel Bryan with me. I groaned. I said Daniel should be kept as far away from me as possible because if anything, me and him should be like Brett and Sean. Their idea was a stable with me, Big Show, uh, Daniel Bryan, and uh, the the only name they ever mentioned was Seth Rollins. But they kept saying, a guy from FCW, I'm willing to do the heel stable thing. Why don't we pick three guys from FCW? You know, Vince was immediately like, who do you have in mind? And I said, Ambrose, Rollins, Chris Hero. Uh, Hunter shot down Hero. They wanted Roman Reigns. The idea was they were supposed to be my group. Things fucking change. Uh, they like to take other people's ideas and make it their own idea and then tout how awesome that they are. But there's also a, a very, I have a very strong philosophy about the business. And I don't think, I don't think a guy like Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose, I don't think they do. I don't think they look at it and question things and say to management, well, why are we doing that? Um, Doc, Doc is giving, Doc's like, oh, you're sick. Here's a Z-Pack. They Z-Pack me to death so much that in December I shit my pants on a SmackDown because that's what antibiotics do to you, right? Is that, on, is that seen on a SmackDown? Yeah, I got, I got real mad because uh, I, I tweeted, like, everybody watch SmackDown because I shit my pants. That's right, yeah. And then the office was like, oh, you can't say the word shit. Can you take it down? And I was like, you, got, you fuckers just aren't fun. Like, it's fucking funny. I shit myself. <laughs> I was laughing. Vince was laughing. Ambrose was laughing. Why is the shield so wet when they come to the <laughs> Do they take a shower in Gorilla? That was a question. Yeah.
Hello and welcome back to Wild Thing. Yes, we are back after a short break and we are back with a bang. We have a great episode lined up for you today. Of course, CM Punk is in the news. He has vacated the AEW World Championship and John Moxley looks to be in the driving seat to become the next champion and the first two-time AEW champion. And of course, that brings us a little segue into today's episode because Punk and Mox are both involved. It is way back in 2013 at the TLC pay-per-view in WWE. John Moxley is of course Dean Ambrose and he is teaming with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns to take on CM Punk in a three-on-one handicap match. And to help me look back at this particular feud, I've enlisted the help of a really cool guest. He is the host of the AEW Next Pillar podcast over at VoicesOfWrestling.com's podcasting network. He is, of course, Blake Hickman. Blake, how the hell are you? And thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. No, the pleasure is all mine. Any excuse to get to hear your voice is a treat for me. But before we get into the meat of the show today you know obviously it's a john moxley podcast we like to have a little origin story about where sure. this came from we want to know how you got into professional wrestling and a bit of a flavor about what you you know what dragged you in and what compelled you to stick around well you know i'm recording this where i was born and raised here in uh portland oregon uh and i just mentioned that because i do feel like uh portland is an underrated uh you know wrestling town uh portland in the pacific northwest was you know, one of the original NWA territories. I know before the show here, you just mentioned you were watching some Roddy Piper matches and uh, he's, you know, a fixture of the area, really. My um, cousin met him, uh, you know, when he was a teenager working at a grocery store and was bagging, you know, Roddy realized midway into as he's bagging these groceries, like, oh, wait, I'm bagging Roddy Piper's groceries. And anyway, yeah, it was like Portland wrestling was a huge thing here before I was born. And uh, a lot of folks don't realize that live here now that it's like, uh, you know, college football or the NBA team that's here. Uh, the, t- the TV ratings for Portland wrestling at that time were, um, you know, close to or more than, uh, you know, any of the other like local sports that you can imagine. It was a huge thing here. Um, and so kind of just like growing up with that awareness, just of like, you know, remembering, uh, grandpa talking about, you know, watching Portland wrestling and my uncle and things like that. And, uh, so I took to it pretty early. I, of course, you know, as many people born in 1984, my first favorite wrestler was the Hulkster and, uh, you know, have really vivid memories of him getting injured by uh, earthquake. Of course, the great John Tenta and, uh, writing him a get well card because they had a an address on the screen where yes. uh, you know kids kids that were bummed that hulk hogan just got hurt you know you could send him a get well card and uh my dad was a postman and so you know in the morning before he goes to work you know i hand him this you know card about hulk hogan where you know i had scrawled the address on crayon on a piece of construction paper thinking that that was all they needed to you know send it in the mail and whatnot And then I kind of fell out of it as, you know, that era of pro wrestling kind of weaned in popularity, but then got right back into it with, you know, the attitude era in, you know, kind of when I was in secondary or middle school before high school. And then had another kind of period of time where I fell out of it, which is part of why I wanted to talk about this match in particular, because, and something that you and I have in common, Joey, is that we're not, there are a lot of people that do this that are kind of. I guess, afraid to admit that they 
identify with or are a fan of a particular wrestler. And I like that you and I are both not necessarily afraid to do that. Uh, you know, not that we're not able to, you know, you, you know, criticize John Moxley when it's, you know, it's worth doing, or, you know, I'll criticize CM Punk, you know, at, at points when it's worth doing. Uh, but just saying, you know, like, I'm a fan of this wrestler and, you know, I'm still able to kind of look at their work in an objective manner. And so anyway, I just appreciate, always appreciate that about your show. Uh, but back Thank to the you. point at hand. Uh, yeah, I stopped watching when, when CM Punk left uh, WWE because, you know, at that point I had been watching wrestling for a long time, you know, on a regular basis and, you know, realized, you know, in part due to a lot of the, like mistreatment of CM Punk and, you know, many other wrestlers at that time was really just fed up with it. And, uh, you know, at that point I hadn't really connected with, you know, various independent wrestling and things like that. That's a lot easier nowadays to follow and, and keep up with, you know, especially when you're talking about ordering, uh, pay-per-views. I don't know if today's wrestling fans realize just how spoiled they are to just hop on fight and watch, you know, all these different independent promotions, oh, uh, pay-per-views. The, just... the, the lens I went to as a child to watch professional wrestling, because like we, we used to be on Sky Sports in Ireland. Now that was a paid, a paid cable channel. We were very poor in the eighties and nineties. We hadn't got much money and I would be watching a scrambled screen, listening to the commentary. That's how oh, desperate right. I was. And that's sad when you think about, but it was six. So fuck it. Like, well, like that's like I was absolutely craving it and I couldn't catch it. But nowadays, oh, yeah, it's, ev it's everywhere and it's fantastic that you can watch. If you fancy some Joshi, Joshi wrestling in Japan, there's some way you can watch it. It's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I actually relate to that a lot because during the Attitude Era, um, uh, my family could not afford uh, paid cable uh, either. And so I would have to go over to my cousin's house to watch. Uh, you know, he would tape raw for me on a VHS and I would get to watch it. You know, he would take it to school the next day and hand it to me. So, yeah, I know I'm very familiar with that dynamic. And then, yeah, on my I believe it was either my 16th or 17th birthday. Uh, my mom got cable just so that I would be able to watch uh, wrestling. So Cher which was a very nice woman. gift. To Cherish her. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and she also let me uh, my friends and I had a a backyard or I guess I. All of, the, all of the wrestling occurred in the garage. So I guess I should call it a garage wrestling uh, <laughs> federation. But yeah, she even let us do that, which uh, I mean, this is the, the, the world's sweetest old church lady now. So I, it's, uh, I mean, that's love, you know, to let a bunch of uh, teenage boys, you know, bleed and sweat on each other in your garage. So <laughs> sounds a lot worse than it probably was. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's probably fair. Oh, uh, but like, 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 it's it's such a I've lots of questions there to unpack. And the first one I have to go for is what was Roddy Piper buying that day in the grocery store? What what's oh, on his list? <laughs> that is a that's a great question, and I will have to ask my cousin because I don't remember that detail of this anecdote. But uh, at the very end of this, you know, as he's finished with the bags, he he looked at him and was like, "Are you Roddy Piper?" And Roddy Piper looked at him, and uh, this was this store was called Thriftway and he pointed at his name tag that said Thriftway and my cousin's name is Nathan. And so Roddy Piper asked him, Oh, are you Nathan Thriftway? Which at the time we thought was really funny, but now looking back on it, I'm not even really sure <laughs> what he was getting at with that joke. I don't know. 
uh, obviously. To be fair, know. Piper was a bit hard of hearing, so you can give him a pass if he didn't hear anything correctly. <laughs> oh, yes, totally, totally. Yeah, that too. Still, you know, like, uh, that's why I really enjoyed just that aspect of the, you know, the punk MJF feud, how much they referenced that, the Piper in Portland, uh, just that match with, uh, with Greg Valentine and everything. Oh, um, it's a fantastic be- match fantastic feud and like it's at the moment i'd say listen it's probably just because of the story alone plus the matches probably is my match of the year and it's been a really good matches this year too oh yeah absolutely and uh yeah so you know my hope is that uh when aw i'm sure eventually they will uh you know come to portland um my hope is that they like kind of acknowledge the history of uh the area just because that's something that really like the WWE never did. Not that they've come to Portland that many times, but uh, they've come to Portland enough to where they could bring it up. But of course, like, you know, WWE has never really concerned themselves as much with the history of wrestling as AEW has, which is why yeah. I'm in, you know, and like, uh, part Tony, of why I'm such an AEW Tony's fan, a complete so. nerd. And I mean, that oh, yeah. he is like ourselves. He, he can't get enough pro wrestling. And if there's anyone that will probably at least lean into the history of pro wrestling when Portland does become an AEW town, I'm sure he'd be the man to try and incorporate something in there. Right. And I also hope just because, you know, we see this happening in the States where in some markets, AEW kind of runs these like pretty... Uh, like off-market arenas, you know, or like arenas that the WWE doesn't run. And sometimes like venues that have not had a wrestling show or much of anything for that matter in quite some time. And uh, here in Portland, uh, I would be pretty stoked if they did a show at the Memorial Coliseum, just because that's when uh, I attended my, that's where I attended my first wrestling event. Uh, It was in 1991. It was either 91 or 92. Who's Uh, on the card you might be asking? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, it's interesting because I went back and looked at this and Roddy Piper did not wrestle at this event, which um, yeah, I'm sure there was some reason for. But I believe I know Hulk Hogan headline, but I don't remember uh, who he was against. But the highlight of the show for me that I remember was just seeing um, Ricky Steamboat. Um, so this actually this must have been earlier than that, actually, now that I'm realizing. But anyway, I'll have to go and look at this. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't prepare. <laughs> I didn't prepare notes for that particular yeah, thing. You're but yeah, fine. This is what we, we get chatting yeah. before you know it. We're we're talking about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in yeah. 1991, which no one it, really does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, I will. I will have to look up and see just like when this show exactly was, because I'm sure you know how like childhood memories can be. Sometimes it may have been one or two that I'm thinking of as one, or I don't know. That's just kind of how things go for me with kids stuff. Oh, of um, course, yeah. I think Papa Shango was actually a good wrestler, so like they can be very distorted. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. Uh, I remember when I was uh, when I first started watching wrestling again. You know, this was in '98, '99. I remember I was like a huge Billy Gunn fan, actually. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, he's he's a he's always a nice surprise when he pops up on AEW programming. Especially, I don't know if you saw Rampage. I, I really enjoyed that. I haven't seen that particular clip yet. Yeah, that's, it's, that's a good one. I'm sure it, was, it, it looks like it's gone over big from the, the tweets I can read. But yeah, yeah. he's used appropriately, I think. Exactly. A- right. He's Yeah, he's used just perfectly. I think if we even had just like a, a smidge more Billy Gunn, it would be too much. But the way that it is now is, is, is just right on. 
you know it is and that's like professional wrestling is it's varied there's no right way of doing it but there's multiple ways of getting people to be entertained and that's why i think why we love it so much and that's a nice little segue to my next question like sure what exactly is pro wrestling's pinnacle for you if you were going to be telling people about excellent pro wrestling what would you point them towards that's a great question you know i because just in the past you know a few months as i've i've done the podcast and um you know pretty regularly have people you know over to the house to to watch wrestling at pay-per-views which has been super fun for me because that's something that i have not done since high school is you know watching wrestling with friends um and it's been so nice to do that comfortably you know as as you know covid cases here have gone down and been more reasonable and stuff to have folks over to the house to watch wrestling and stuff like that has been great but you know there's different wrestling for different people you know um and i think that's something that i've always like i always am very accepting of like i have friends that are equally into wrestling but watch it for different reasons uh like you know i have a friend who you know is very much uh you know into like the hard striking kind of more like new japan strong style of of wrestling you know where he wants to see wrestling that is you know it looks like real fighting as much as possible or i guess i should say like i i think his favorite feud currently is that is that blood not or his favorite fed currently is that that blood sport stuff and uh i have other friends you know it's like where you know they really like adam cole and watching you know the young bucks and things like that and so for me where I come at things, I'm kind of able to appreciate a lot of different kinds of wrestling equally. So I guess I would just kind of like point to like a couple different, you know, scenes that I really like, you know, one of which would be like, you know, one of the kind of like periods of independent wrestling that, uh, you know, I got pretty into is just that kind of like, I guess like early to mid period, like ring of honor stuff you know, like from, you know, that punk Raven feud to like the, the, the stuff that punk and Joe did, you know, kind of up through, oh, I don't know, like 2009, 2010, I guess. Uh, just because I think for folks really focused on that in-ring product, I think that that rung of ring of honor not only had that, but also had some like really engaging and really personal feuds. Yeah, you I, have to look at Jimmy Jacobs, Kings of yeah. Wrestling, you know, Sami oh, yeah. Zayn, who of course was Jal Generico. Guys like that were absolutely tearing it down at the stage. And so that's what I'd recommend to anyone, you know, who's kind of looking for something that is pretty much as far away from, you know, your classic WWE sports entertainment stuff uh, as possible. And then, you know, the other you know, run that I'm very partial to is just the like CM Punk's like last good run in WWE. So, you know, kind of before like some of his like health problems and creative stuff to where like he definitely looks hurt and banged up, you know, in this match that we're about to talk about. Uh, and so, you know, I guess like that run from, uh, you know, his that title run that started with his win over uh, Alberto Del Rio through to like i mean i would even say like the undertaker match i think you know despite the fact that the wwe was not really uh always treating him like the champion he was still able to like i feel like more than anyone else punk was able to 
work that WWE style. And I think if you look back at this punk run, you know, especially compared to, you know, some of his good matches in AEW, I think it's interesting to see just how different his style was and how he was able to do kind of like paint by the numbers, WWE style stuff, but in a way that always felt like he was always able to make it like fresh and, and super engaging. Like I showed some friends that, uh, uh, the CM Punk John Cena match on Raw before it was like to de- determine the number one contender. And uh, that is one of my favorite WWE matches uh, just because I felt like not only could Punk and Cena like really go in the ring and got to a point where they really knew each other quite well, but I also felt that from just a storyline aspect, you know, CM Punk and John Cena, both so emblematic of their eras and kind of like, the style of pro wrestling that they each represent. Uh, And I think anytime you have like two perfect figureheads like that uh, going head to head, you know, it's something special. And at the time, you know, I remember being so sick of John Cena, but it's like, you know, I've gone back and watched a lot of, you know, the punk matches from that time. And uh, they were really doing some special stuff together. 100%. Like, and John Cena for all his criticisms and naysayers the guy would try his best to knock it out of the park every night he was especially I say if you take his United States title run where he really elevated that title and had great match nearly after great match week in week out with a variety of different guys Cena was as well capable and punk you know when he's when he's on form there's probably very few people that are on his level he gets it and he's versatile and it's just so engaging. It, it, it's very rare that I find myself watching CM Punk and find myself bored or wanting to look elsewhere or change the channel or look at my Twitter, whatever it may be. The guy is engaging. Absolutely. Yeah. This kind of goes to a point of one of my least favorite things of wrestling criticism uh, is just how common it is for folks to do the thing where uh, if a wrestler they don't like, has a bad match, has a good match, it's always entirely dependent on their opponent. If you follow me, where it's like, it's completely agree with you. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be the hugest fan of Seth Rollins lately from his, his character work. However, I can't deny the guy as an in-ring talent. He has, he gets it. He is a very, very excellent professional wrestler depending on, and not even depending on who he's in there, but whoever he is in there with, he can make magic with them if he's, you know, given the right time and the right circumstances and there's no real, you know, hokey restrictions, cough, cough, the fiend, the guy knocks <laughs> it out of the park. And while I'm not yeah. a huge fan, I don't like watching the guy as a character. I can watch his matches and I can say, listen, this guy gets it and he rocks. Right. Well, or, you know, to not do the thing where if, you know, Seth Rollins has a match with Cody Rhodes to say, oh, well, that's all Cody Rhodes. That's, that's one of my least favorite things two that people, people do always in there to, to tangle with you know that's exactly like it's a dance at the end of the day and if they if both of them make a good match yeah i'm sure one of them could be leading but it doesn't mean the other guy is not pulling his way either exactly yeah and especially you know a john cena who is not the kind of guy that could have a great match with any opponent he's not one of those kinds um but he often would have great matches, you know, even with opponents that you wouldn't necessarily expect and things like that. So I don't know, I guess I've just like had to do this reappraisal period of John Cena where 
because I was so sick of watching him, you know, especially during this time period that we're going to talk about. But it's like, yeah, going back and watching that, you know, especially relative to, you know, how things have been with Roman on top. uh, You know, it does make you miss John Cena, uh, even the Super Cena era. So it's again, it's all relative. I think that's context and it's an apples to oranges sort of type scenario where there's similarities between himself and Cena and Reigns, but there's a lot of different elements to here that are very different and the variables make things completely different and again when it comes to reigns at the moment i can look at him and say this guy is presented as a star and he's probably the only real star wwe today that gets protected so well but the, the other side of that is he isn't anyway near you know, worthy of any of his opponents that he fights he is well above them and no one looks like an actual threat to be able to take him down and that's that's the difference and it's not necessarily roman's fault as a worker i think roman's a, a very competent professional wrestler oh absolutely yeah no i mean it's it's all about the presentation and uh just how far away because i think what a lot of people don't understand you know about WWF circa, you know, 99, 2000 is that, you know, just as much of, you know, that boom period being about Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, you know, it was just as much about the Hardy Boys or the supporting cast. Yeah. exactly right and, and there was there was more than just one main star you'd have you'd have mankind mcfoley you'd have triple h who was getting to that level in around 99 2000 again the rock yeah jeff jarrett i think there was like a, okay i'm a jeff jarrett mark so i'm gonna throw him in there definitely oh sure <laughs> sure but like there's a lot of people i can look at in there and thinking it wasn't just the stone cold steve austin show but he was the the, the, the mvp that's the star of the show and the rock would eventually follow but when these guys were injured they had other people to play plug in which could you know pick up the slack the Kurt angles the the, the big shows undertakers whoever it may be there was always a plethora of stars that could really elevate and that's the thing if roman was to go by the way so tomorrow there isn't that kind of level of support and cast in the terms of how they're presented on television right and there there was also a reason to watch not just the first and last 15 minutes of a two hour or now a three hour show uh, you know, like you didn't want to just tune in for the opening segment and the closing segments because you were wondering what was going on about the rock and triple H or whatever. You wanted to watch the entire show, and it's because they gave you a reason to want to stay and watch. And this is the kind of the criticism that I have sometimes of AEW because they're great at putting on really good, engaging wrestling on a weekly basis. Uh, sometimes that consistent week to week storytelling. Uh, is not there um, as much as it could be. Uh, And that is the thing I think that is the most underrated about, uh, you know, some of these like periods in WWE that were both financially successful and creatively successful, Um, which I'm not sure if this company will ever uh, hit both of those marks again, frankly. But it seems to be a, a case of trying to get the balance out. But once the money's coming in, the other part really doesn't matter at the moment if you're right. a WWE executive. And that's, listen, that's a business. You can't argue with that from a financial standpoint. If it's working, why, fi- why, why try fix it? You know? Right. Well, and, you know, something else that I was struck by, um, you know, watching some pay-per-views from this era is just how much the fan base has changed. 
to where it's hard for me to imagine this current day WWE fan base, you know, hijacking a WrestleMania like they did for Daniel Bryan, you know? It kind of seems now that, you know, the WWE's fans that they have, uh, and not just the bots online, but it does seem like there is less of a willingness on the WWE crowd to, like, push back against these these Vince ideas. Right. They're they're at least content with what they view. And I think anyone that wasn't happy have said, hey, there's an alternative over here that that gets me and I want to go over there and that's where they've gone right. they've gone to AEW so while some people have obviously left and migrated a lot of people that remain are are happy with what they say they they like to see Roman Reigns they like the the, the over the top presentation right. and that's that's for them or you know I I mean folks maybe like me or a couple of friends that I had where when we stopped watching WWE we went back and uh you know watched old Ring of Honor DVDs and things like that I mean that's one of the things about wrestling today is just that you know not only is there all this independent wrestling that you can follow even outside of AEW there's also much more of a historical body of work that is like accessible and easy to check out yeah like like um, you mentioned before we were talking before our show about Piper and Valentine and I've rarely seen much of mid-atlantic and it's been fascinating to still again i've watched it in, in pieces here or there you know a couple of matches here and a couple of matches there but being able to follow this feud you now from start to finish and the promos it's like wow this is this is a whole different kettle of fish oh absolutely yeah that's like i have a friend that's been getting really into smoky mountain wrestling Ooh, Jim um, fan. yeah <laughs> yeah i the thrill uh, seekers <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not yeah i'm not sure if he necessarily uh is a is a fan of the current uh Jim Cornette but he's definitely a fan of you know Jim Cornette as a booker I honestly I cannot imagine how exhausting it must be to be Jim Cornette in 2022 uh just listening to that guy's show whatever um, whatever works for the guy hey it's his life. yeah yeah uh anyway yeah we should I guess talk more about the battered hand but yeah I guess that's part of what I was struck by I, uh, cause sometimes the YouTube algorithm, uh, thinks that I'm like going to like Jim Cornette's show. Uh, and I don't know what that's about, but something about my YouTube history, uh, you know, well, I mean, of course I know what that's about cause it's the same <laughs> subject as a lot of videos that I watch, but, uh, I do sometimes just kind of poke in from time to time. And yeah, I, I cannot imagine how exhausting it must be to be inside his head. Uh-huh. Uh, but, like, but I can we, say that about a lot of people. That's him. Like, <laughs> so, isn't yeah. he, he's entitled to his opinion. Like, and again, like, I don't think everyone's 100% wrong 100% of the time. He, he probably oh, has absolutely, some sense. Yeah. He's just, there's probably a lot of knowledge in there that's like just not being filtered out in the right way. But Exactly, know, that, yeah. That, that's, that's him being him. And I think that's, you know, if sure. people, people want to, you know, there's obviously a market out there because he's keep going. Same with Vince Russo totally. and other guys and Mark Madden. There's people that like listen to these people for whatever reason. So, oh, sure. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to be... Uh, disparaging per se i guess i'm not necessarily talking oh, I, I, about i'm not defending the meter by any means oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not necessarily talking about his opinions i guess i'm more of talking about his uh his energy i guess yeah he's exactly he's, yeah intensity he, he is he doesn't take a breath he's kind of like excalibur nearly sometimes when he's trying to run down a pay-per-view card he is oh he exactly keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going <gasps> and i'm mathematic i really shouldn't do this but anyway i digress we we are a john moxley podcast at the end of the day yeah and we'll of course 
being a John Moxley podcast, let's get your thoughts on when was the first time you were introduced to the man called Jonathan Moxley or Dean Ambrose or Jonathan Good, and what were your first opinions? You know, I think like a lot of people, you know, at that time, because I, you know, again, didn't really pay attention to what was going on outside of WWE until I stopped watching WWE, just to be honest. And so my introduction to him was like a lot of folks, uh, you know, when the shield debuted and, you know, for me, even going back to that time, he was always the most engaging character of that trio for me, you know, specifically the, the wrestler that really got me into the attitude era was Mick Foley. And so as a fan of Mick Foley, you know, someone like a Dean Ambrose, you know, who at that point, you know, I could then see, you know, came up through the independent scene and kind of had like a reputation as like a pretty hardcore dude, you know, it very much felt, and, you know, to say nothing of, you know, that little feud that he had with Mick Foley or quasi, I, I don't even really know what to call it since it the, never the actually almost went anywhere. Feud. It was, it was, yeah, exactly. Like Foley just couldn't get cleared and it's just, yeah, well, this, this didn't work out, I guess. But yeah, that I, I was in, when that immediately dropped on YouTube after WrestleMania, I was like, hey, this, this is, this is something good here. Is it real? Is it not real? And that was where the lines were being blurred. And, you know, it's, listen, it was going to be one of the things that looked like it was going to be at least off to the races soon enough. But unfortunately for Mick and obviously for Dean Ambrose, it, it didn't come, come to pass. One of many missed opportunities for John Moxley fans to be entertained <laughs> yeah, listen, <laughs> from, it's, from his WWE run. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's uh, he, he isn't the only man to fall victim to either unfortunate circumstances or poor creative. And it's just, you know, part of the game and WWE, unfortunately, you, you got to play it, I guess. And that's not a Triple H reference, though. I just have quoted the song. But well, sure. <laughs> it is. It, it is a little bit. But so like today's show, we're obviously covering CM Punk taking on ball three members of the Shield, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins and our boy Dean Ambrose. But like this this isn't exactly a huge feud. This isn't a really thing with lots of meat, lots of twists, lots of like, you know, there's, there's very little here really to get into, but the main thing what we discussed off air before we actually took this on was of course, looking back at like four words and that was make Roman look strong. And that really brings us right. back to the art of wrestling podcast, which happened obviously several months after this particular event where punk would, obviously aired his grievances with WWE and one of the grievances was of course touched upon the shield in this match and obviously about Roman Reigns so we went back and I think we both looked at the art of wrestling both episodes where Punk describes his his later you know last few months in WWE and what were your opinions from watching the, or from listening to this particular you know podcast and where you think this this had any play in this match did, did Punk's words were they valid were they what he believed were they true what were your opinions like well, you know, I think it's really interesting to look at this match from a historical perspective because, of course, you know, two of the participants are still the focal point of WWE programming and two of the participants who, just as you're saying, from a combination of bad fortune and bad creative, uh, you know, are now in AEW. And so just as a quick aside, one of the things that sticks out to me listening to this art of wrestling, both of these episodes is just how bummed I am just that, uh, you know, Punk and Colt are not on speaking terms. Oh, still. that's the first thing I have in my notes here. It's like, it Colt yeah. makes reference to being on Team Punk forever. And I'm like, oh, my heart broke. Right. And we've all had friendships like that, you know. 
we um, have and I personally speaking I, I had a friend and we were great friends and then we fell out for a while over something really stupid over really something really small and five years later we got back talking and everything was great again and I really right. hope in my heart of hearts that somehow some way this has already happened even just not aware of it or it will happen in the near future yeah I I mean I think everyone would love to see uh just any kind of on-screen acknowledgement like that I mean none not that it's any of our business, obviously. I guess just from, again, you know, someone who has the perspective of, you know, having lost some friends over some business issues. Yeah, that is just one of the main takeaways watching this is just how bummed you are to see, you know, just how close they were. And from, from uh, a personal perspective, just to jump in, what do you, what's your opinion of Punk from a personal point of view? Like, I, I, my own personal opinion is that like, he is a believable, honest guy, but at the same time, he's a, he's a bit of an asshole. He's very outspoken. He's very opinionated, though he's pretty likable at the same time. Like, what's your take on CM Punk as a person? Well, that's my take on CM Punk as a person is really something that like I try to stay away from just because, you know, in a field like this, like it's really hard to judge someone on a personal level, just given. And a lot of that is with any public figure, but especially within we only you know, know the field of pro wrestling. And yeah, what we're exactly. To see. We don't know the true guy behind the scene. We just know snippets. Well, and just, uh, you know, ultimately wrestling is at its core about, you know, subverting or, you know, changing perceptions, you know, like it's about, uh, it's a, in, in itself is like a, a sleight of hand in a lot well, of controlling ways. Controlling the narrative could be one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, how else would you put it? But yeah, uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, but one thing I will say, you know, about CM Punk is that as a face character, CM Punk is always at his best when he is in pursuit of the truth or of the authentic, you know, and that's really what broke CM Punk out, you know, that, you know, the infamous pipe bomb promo was, you know, very much similar to this art of wrestling pot, you know, it's almost like that promo was the clip notes on the art of wrestling, you know, podcast, or at least like the tip of the iceberg, I guess you could say, since folks like iceberg videos so much, <laughs> are you into iceberg videos at all? Not really. No. Yeah. I've never gotten into those either, but uh, yeah, that pipe bomb was kind of the tip of the iceberg to this, you know, where the art of wrestling uh, really kind of like expands on these issues and I guess for me, it was hard for me to keep watching after I listened to this sort of wrestling episode, just because it really did confirm a lot of the stuff that I'd been like reading about, you know, for years, just in terms of what the locker room is like and, you know, how, uh, you know, the medical staff, which one of my favorite things about the start of this match is that Michael Cole, you know, mentions like, you know, CM Punk, he's got, he's got bruised ribs. And there's even rumors that he has cracked ribs, which is just really funny because it's like even that comment kind of seems to indicate just like how much they didn't really care about yeah. what was going on. They were clearly medically. aware of the situation. Well, you guys have doctors. You probably don't have to rely on rumors that he has cracked ribs. You could probably, you know, do an x-ray or something. And I know that that's like obviously what, Michael Cole said it was kayfabe, but it just was funny because it's like, wow, even in kayfabe, the WWE doesn't really care about what's going on with CM Punk yeah, medically. It, it reminded me of a movie. I, I, I don't think I might, it may be misremembering the movie now, but any given Sunday with Al Pacino, and I think it's Dennis Quaid's character is going through, he's banged up, and the doc is really just, we, we're not really 
ethically doing the right thing here but we're gonna put him out there anyway and just gonna drug him up and send him out there and he's gonna like that's it and i, I remember just thinking the similarities here between how wwe view their performance is like well listen we'll just we'll just we give him a few z-packs send him out there and hope for the best well and you and you hear that some of these aspects that cm punk were was complaining about have improved in terms of you know they do seem more willing to give wrestlers time off when they need it and, you know, you do wonder had CM Punk just gotten maybe even, you know, a month or two off, you know, we could have gotten a lot more of his career, maybe. And he appeared, but at to, the be, same he point, appeared to be open to that to a certain extent, because he was like, well, no one's tried to ring me here. You know, no one's really tried to get in contact with me here. They like it's, it's like he was kind right. of saying, well, listen, I, I'm open things and we can have a dialogue. But the dialogue was never open. Right. And I will also say, you know, going back to your question about, you know, what is the peak of pro wrestling for me? I mean, that CM Punk return, I mean, it would not have been nearly as powerful as it was had it not been the full seven years, you know? But yeah, I mean, I can say, like, that's one of, like, only two or three moments as a fan, you know, where I I was crying just like the guy they showed on TV. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but it yeah, was just, I... It was something that was so unimaginable probably only like say maybe one year prior he was like this isn't gonna right. happen he's he's fell out of love with professional wrestling he's happy where he is and it was just it, it, that, that whole segment was just like he's back and he hasn't missed a beat and oh god he's just so good oh i know yeah i mean it's it's been just such a joy to have him back and to have him back you know in a company that actually gives him the freedom to do the kind of work that he really wants to do. Oh, he, um, seemed, he seemed so happy, which is the, the main right. thing. You can see him in the, in the post-show um, you know, clips. In the last week, just for example, you see him and Hook having absolute great times in the ring. You see him, oh, Alice, yeah. Alice of Black and the baddies taking a few you know, fun snapshots backstage. And this is like, yeah, I, I saw he's that, enjoying yeah. himself. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess going back to something else I wanted to say is I was talking just about that CM Punk face character, how at its best, you know, it's when CM Punk is wanting to, uh, you know, be authentic, to be real. And I think part of why the tail end of his WWE run, including this match, felt pretty underwhelming at the time is I feel like with that CM Punk versus the authority, you know, feud to where they were building to that match with him and Triple H at WrestleMania, it very much felt like they were trying to recapture his like anti-authority spirit that he had when he made that pipe bomb promo. But, you know, it's just like this thing, you know, that people are talking about on Twitter today about the WWE, you know, saying to advertisers, you know, that they can script the buzzer beater moments. The problem is, is that when the WWE tries to script things like that, that originally came from like a very organic and authentic place, uh, it just doesn't hit nearly as hard. And so, you know, the WWE sanctioned anti-WWE CM Punk is just not the same as the CM Punk that was actually speaking his mind and um, on during the flip that pipeline promo. That, the flip side of that would be that when these things do happen organically, 
they don't know when to pull the trigger or really how to handle them. And I think that was very clear when they realized how really popular Punk had, especially at, at the moment that money in the bank. They was like, what yeah. do we do now? They didn't know when to pull the trigger. And I think that's been a, a real you know mainstay throughout other people's runs, even just like, for example, Braun Strowman. This guy had mm-hmm. momentum. He's not a CM Punk and he, isn't, he probably never will be. However, this guy had certain momentum at one stage and they just never knew when to pull the trigger that when they eventually pulled the trigger, it was way too late. I mean, I would even say like CM Punk, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but the Survivor Series match where it was him and Triple H and Shawn Michaels and it really was, for the life I think, of the, I think that was 06, was it? Or 07? Yeah, but he was at that point, you know, getting bigger pops in that match than, you know, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, you know, over and over again, you know, even when they did finally, you know, give him that really historic title reign. It was very much like did not have the the full attention of the people that it should have, uh, you know, backstage, because it was still very much the, you know, the John Cena show during that entire time period. But like the, the notes I have here is from the arts of wrestling are like, like there's so many things that we can see here that Punk has obviously agreed to. And the one thing I can say is the parallels between him and Moxley's exits are quite. Oh, apparent. absolutely. That's well, a great point. They're two different people and they handle it two different ways. But you can see the, the main sort of points here, they're unhappy. They wanted to have more creativity. They felt creatively stifled and basically they weren't happy coming to work anymore. Well, the difference I think between them is that Moxley more or less took more of a higher ground when when leaving and he could see the positives of WWE and it just wasn't for him where Punk was, he's a lot more aggrieved. Yeah, much more, um, I this may seem over dramatic, but he seems a lot more wounded by yes. his experience than by like, say, you know, listening to the, the John Moxley um, interviews that he gave after leaving, because throughout all of this, I have never sensed that John Moxley's love of professional wrestling was affected, you know, nearly t- as much as the, you know, extent as, CM Punk's, you know, departure. There was probably an adverse his. effect, nearly an adverse right. effect in terms of where Punk felt he needed to get as far away as professional wrestling, while Moxley really felt, you know what, I'm motivated to show the world what I can do. Like, this is, I'm in a box here, or for lack of a better word, a box-like structure. And right. I want to be able to break <laughs> out of here and show people this is what I can do when I'm allowed to be left to my own devices. And we got that from his AEW debut and his New Japan run. And you could see instantly that this guy is a different beast than the one that we saw in WWE. And though still one that, like, there were always flashes of it, you know, in in the Dean Ambrose matches. I mean, I don't know why I'm telling you this, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can can see... Especially in 2014, when he was feuding with Seth and they were giving yeah. Roman the, the, the beginning of the super push, Ambrose was the guy who was getting the reactions and he was much more organically getting over because he just right. felt so much more authentic. Well, Roman was, he was still finding his feet as a lone star and felt a little bit exposed without having the other members of the Shield to pick up slack. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's where sometimes, you know, wrestling experience uh, you know, I think folks may assume that like experience more often than not translates in the ring. I think a lot of what, you know, experience for a pro wrestler does is knowing just all the little things that you can do to connect with fans in an arena. And I think that 
it's stuff like that that really makes uh you know dean Am- dean ambrose pop off the screen you know relative to you know as a, a roman reigns especially but even as seth rollins is just all the little things that he is doing almost every minute that he's in the ring to you know send a message to fans to connect with fans to put over the match just tons of like little stuff you know and I think that it's that that really sets him apart from those other two members. It's just all the little things like that, the psychology of things. And, and how ironic is it that during this art of wrestling, Punk drops the news that the Shield was his idea. He was the one who, you know, he was approached about a faction, right. a big show and Brian, and he wasn't feeling that. And rightly so. It doesn't sound like a very well thought out idea. He says, let's get three guys from FCW, NXT, get them up here and we'll we'll try and build three guys here that you know, they can be under the learning tree. And he, he picks out Moxley, he picks out Rollins and he picks out Cassius Ono, who is, of course, Chris right. Hero. And it's fascinating to see how obviously Chris Hero's career went after that and then of course they get Leah Key who was now Roman Reigns and like, right. what was your opinion of, of how this sort of you know faction began and what do you put much strength in the fact that this is Punk's idea well I I think I'm glad you brought that up just because like I that's one of those nuggets from that art of wrestling interview that I feel like folks haven't really revisited uh just that idea of a you know CM Punk you know, picked version of the shield. And uh, I mean, of course it's telling that like the one person that wasn't the guy that CM Punk picked is the one that the WWE wanted to push. Uh, You know, of course that's not lost on anyone at this point, I don't think, but I do think it does give a little interesting, like historical wrinkle to this match, Uh, you know, especially looking back on it that, yeah, I mean, this was, you know, CM Punk's idea originally. And uh, I think that's also one of those things that maybe isn't discussed as much about Punk's departure is just how often, you know, the WWE creative that was working for CM Punk was more often than not the WWE creative that CM Punk was coming up with and having to force through. So I think the WWE, you know, when he left also lost, you know, the wrestling mind that is CM Punk that we can now see you know, paying dividends for AEW, you know, a CM Punk that has had all these years to do nothing but think about like, well, you know, if I were to do this again, I would kind of want to do a thing like this. And, you know, now we're seeing the the benefit to AEW getting to use, you know, all of these ideas and being, I'm sure, more of a collaborative partnership for CM Punk than probably any creative partnership he had uh, <laughs> with WWE. So. Yeah, that is an interesting wrinkle of it for sure. It is. And of course, like one thing that I'll always, it, it regrinds my gears when you see online is that like people giving Dave Meltzer flack for his, uh, for whatever it is that he reports then suddenly changing and plans change and punk and other particular people within pro wrestling will constantly testify that plans do change that quickly within WWE. And just like punk is going to have his own stable here plans have changed and now the shield are their own entity they're associated with punk but they're not necessarily working directly under him and of course there's the paul Heyman element there that apparently has paid sure. the shield to to do this and it's it's not really hitting as hard as probably it would have been if it was punk stable but it is what it is and the punk the shield develop into one of the most strongly protected stable stream and faction in wwe history especially at this time and no one is really protected and it's interesting to see how they come to this pay-per-view now they're having 
having an absolute stellar year in terms of the best way of putting this would be they've had probably the strongest run of anyone in the company at this particular time. No one has really had the matches they've had, the protection they've had, and all three guys really complement each other. And they're they're stuck in a feud now with CM Punk, more or less doing the the bidding of Triple H. What were your thoughts on the build to this feud and how it developed? Well, you know, I spoke to this just a bit earlier, but just that this was kind of their attempt to you know, recreate this anti-authority CM Punk, which, you know, definitely did like CM Punk versus the authority feud, you know, it was definitely over with fans to an extent. But yeah, I mean, again, it's like trying to kind of like recapture that money in the bank pipe bomb magic is just always going to be one of those like things that I can't remember the term for it, where it's like, uh, you know, each time it's less effective. I'm yeah, trying they, to think they, what they, they've gone to the well once too often. The, the, exactly. The, 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 the right. law of diminishing returns. Law of um, diminishing returns. That's what I was trying to think of. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's, that's WWE in general. Uh, something I was going to ask you is just, you had a good point about how bad the WWE is at when they do have something developing organically, you know, actually taking advantage And from my perspective, I kind of wonder if this thing with the shield may be the last time that the WWE was actually able to capitalize. Recently, at least, I will point to Keith Lee. Keith Lee was a revelation in 2019's Survivor Series. And you can clearly see he was built up this way. They wanted to test the waters here with himself and Roman Reigns. And it looked like this is eventually going to be the way that we'd probably go. Maybe not directly afterwards Survivor Series, but you felt eventually these two would eventually come head to head at maybe the top of the card. But it was like, well, that's why he's, he's over here. Let's strip him down. Let's build him back up and in our own image. And it was like, he could, he had that moment with Brock Lesnar to Royal Rumble. And I think to myself, this is a perfect example of these guys just not knowing when they have struck gold. They have a little bit of lightning in the bottle and they've decided just to throw it down the sink. Well, and part of me wonders too, you know, not to get into the internal machinations of WWE too much, but uh, I do wonder too, if it's that, you know, a lot of the top guys that were still working at that point, like a Triple H or a Shawn Michaels that actually had pull with Vince, a lot of those guys have either, you know, in the case of Triple H fallen out of favor or are just gone and not in Vince's ear anymore. And I sometimes wonder if that's part of it is just because, I mean, he's really never made like the next Undertaker or the next Triple H or the next anyone for that matter, but Roman Reigns. And so you wonder if part of like not having those established stars that have, you know, Vince's ear and can kind of, you know, veto things or suggest things. I would argue that Triple H never really knew what Vince wanted. He was trying to give Vince what he wanted. But especially if you look at NXT, sure. there's a huge disconnect between the stars and NXT and how they're portrayed then when they finally make it to the main roster. And you'd have to like, well, Vince is going to be the, the one guy who's going to decide where this guy is pushed or not. You should pander to this guy. Like, and I think that's what they're kind of trying to do now with the new NXT. You know, it's not necessarily the same beast that NXT right. point one was. But at the same time, you look at Vince and listen, if I'm in NXT and I want my guys to be built up well, I'm going to try and pander to Vince and what he likes. And that's just the way it is. Because like he has his opinions and that's just the way it is until probably the day he steps down, if if it ever comes. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. But like this, again, you can see here from 
the, the feud here. It's three guys who are very well protected and they're three on one versus Roman Reigns. And we go back to that that quick line from the art of wrestling that keep Roman looking strong. And the, the one thing I would ask yourself, like, is there any much weight to this? Now, there definitely is, I think, to a certain extent. But in this particular match, you have really... Punk looking strong. If anything, he's going in here three on one against three well-established men who are probably on a level below him technically. But these guys are really hot. They're dismantling three men teams everywhere within the last year, and yet they can't take CM Punk down. I'd argue Roman's not looking strong here whatsoever. I would agree with you, just with the exception that I mean, it was ultimately Roman's finisher that won the match. Mm, uh, good point. So I and I do think that. You know, whatever agent that, you know, was helping them put this match together, I'm sure part of that keeping Roman strong, I'm sure was making sure that it was his finisher that won the match. And of course, he didn't um, take the pin. But ultimately, if you're, you're you'd have to say, well, listen, there's a part of this that says they're, they're making CM Punk look strong. He's gone here three on one. Sure. He's coming out with the wind and it's hard. Well, well. I'm sure 100% Punk believes everything he says in this art of wrestling. He's being honest as his perception is. But I don't think he really noticed how really strong they kept him to a point as well. They have, okay, they've, they've actually made really bad decisions regarding Kevin Nash and Roy back probably throughout the, the last year too. But at the same time, they've brought him in here and they have him go over three really bright young stars. And like, you know, this is, this is not the best way to keep Roman necessarily strong. Yeah, I mean, going on that line of, criticism i i think the the eye injury aspect of the match is certainly part of what from my perspective does not make roman look strong you know well um, to, to, to a point like I, I look at the early match ambrose comes in he tries right take down punk he fails rollins comes in he tries he fails roman comes in ding ding he's he's onto something here and he's the one who's getting the most success against punk until the dive over the uh the announce table which he, he really right. made look good it was really good don't get me wrong and it was a good way to, of logically getting out of the shield losing here but like again i think it's a case of wwe booking themselves unnecessarily into a corner here well and i think part of it too is just the wwe would you know occasionally try to you know placate cm punk in certain ways. And I think, you know, you could say, you know, that CM Punk in a lot of these instances, like Punk may have been letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, if you know what I mean, where like I know a lot of folks once they found out, you know, that the plan for that WrestleMania was to have him fight and, you know, ultimately even go over Triple H. But I think that what that potential, you know, WrestleMania match and ending has in common with this, you know, triple threat match is ultimately like, what do these wins actually mean? Or even going back to how they treated his title, his his last title reign. It's like, there's lots of instances like this where you see the WWE quote unquote, you know, giving CM Punk what he wants, but like, ultimately, what does this build to, you know, particularly when they're making it clear to him, you know, that the main point of this match even though it's a triple threat match that not a triple threat, a three on one handicap match that CM Punk is going to go over in the point of the match from the WWE's perspective is still to make sure that Roman Reigns looks good. And I don't think that that was lost on him at the time or in some of these other moments where the WWE has tried to, you know, make CM Punk happy or what have you. Exactly. The match itself. What what did you enjoy about the match? I think there is a lot to enjoy here. There are four competent guys, maybe not the same extent for Reigns, but at least 
Rollins and Ambrose and Punk, they are well capable within the ring. I think there's lots of really cute little moments within the match, which are really nice. Now, it's not a four-star or five-star sort of match, but it's a sure. very entertaining match at the same time. I still really enjoy it, despite the booking sort of oversights. What were your opinions? Yeah, it is a very entertaining match still, and not just from the historical perspective of things. I think, you know, if anything else, you know, that match really like what's my appetite for some kind of in-ring, you know, confrontation between Punk and Moxley in, in AEW that I'm sure will happen at one point or another. Like it was really exciting that random tag match that they had together, but just seeing like the energy of a CM Punk and the energy of John Moxley in the ring together, it really is one of those things where, and I know they had, you know, matches of their own, of course, in WWE, the world really does need like a, a solid CM Punk, John Moxley feud, I think, oh, uh, is a takeaway for me. 100%. I think these two guys are very authentic and believable, especially when talking to your audience. I think you really, well, I know this is kayfabe. I know it's not necessarily real and scripted, but if you can make me suspend my disbelief for a couple of moments, like these, these guys are the guys to do it. And this match in particular now, like it's like, while I disagree with them being booked to begin with in the three and one match, I think the structure of the match it kind of does its best to protect all guys to a certain extent. Like, you know, Roman gets injured early on, so he's kind of, you know, a, a non-entity to it. They, they sell the eye really big time commentary, put Roman over big, but they also put over Seth and, and Ambrose as well to a very good extent. And the end isn't really true punk being stronger than those, but it's really the miscommunication and the, you know, the unfortunate injury to Reigns that really is what is the downfall of the Shield in the end. And I think it's not the worst way to end the match like like the shields are put down by their own members spear and he looks as he has done most times looks like a million books performing it he really does deliver a decent a decent spear as you know time progresses right. and like it's not like it's not the worst match punk kind of steals the win and he gets out of there gets out of dodge and it's like it's it's perfectly acceptable nothing offensive about it it's nothing like amazing but it serves a purpose yeah no absolutely um and i would also say you know, something else that kind of jumps off the screen is part of what got the shield over was just how innovative Seth Rollins offense was compared to like a lot of people in WWE at the time. And uh, you and I actually have some pretty similar opinions on the modern day uh, Seth Rollins. But I mean, part of why he got over really was, you know, his in-ring product at that he's, time. He's an exciting guy between the ropes. He's quick. He's explosive. Yeah. He's he's exciting. Until he opened his mouth, he was a perfectly good fiery baby face. And when he opens his mouth, I think you realize he's a bit of a slimy heel underneath there. And his style doesn't necessarily mesh well with his character, unfortunately. And that's where he's just missing that little ingredient to sort of push him to the next level. And his current character is just not the one doing it for me. And that's just, I think, the way it is. And I'm not going to be able to, you know, change that opinion, unfortunately. But like, right. he is in this match, he is probably the DMVP, for lack of a better word. He, like I say, he's explosive. He comes in, does what he does very well, elegantly. And himself and Ambrose, they, they do their best to really carry this match with a, you know, as much as they can do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would also say just, you know, part of my issue, I guess, with the current day Seth Rollins is like, I would obviously never begrudge anyone for, you know, taking a check from WWE. Of course not. Listen, in the modern wrestling. I'll business, always compare but... this to, are you familiar with the band Westlife? 
Probably no, not. not at all. So they're an Irish boy band. They're very successful and they have probably the worst music in the world. But my God, I will not begrudge them money. They make a lot of money and fair play to them. I cannot say a bad thing about them from a business perspective. I just won't listen to them. But Seth Rollins would be the right. same way. Fair play to the guy. He's making money. Good for him. I will say, though, that him and Becky Lynch both sometimes carry water for WWE in ways oh, that yeah. they don't need to. Like, And for me... You know, like the difference between a Seth Rollins and a Becky Lynch and I mean, even someone like Kevin Owens, who probably artistically wanted to go to AEW, but, you know, took the WWE check and I mean, more power to him, especially, you know, having such a focal point of the last WrestleMania and whatnot. But there is a difference between the folks who you can tell are in WWE and taking a check because of kind of like just the way the modern wrestling landscape is and the Becky Lynch's and the Seth Rollins that go out of their way to, you know, criticize the competition or act like the WWE is on a humanitarian mission when oh, they're doing these Saudi Arabia shows. Especially with Becky. I, was like, <laughs> I, I like Becky. I think she's a yeah. really likable person, genuine person. Oh, sure. And then when she's having interviews about the, the Saudi Arabia trip and, and she uses the quote, I've heard nothing but good things from everyone that's gone over there. I was like, that's bullshit did you not remember the, the plane ride that got nearly got hijacked Come oh on, yeah like exactly that, that's yeah. not a very genuine comment that's very disingenuous and it's like come on you're better than this you didn't need to say that you could have you, you could have spun this another way exactly yeah it's just disappointing because again yeah it's it's an unnecessary like why why is that your hill to die on you know like why just why defend wwe you know i um yeah it's been disappointing you know because of course Seth Rollins can just really go in the ring and especially relative to a lot of, you know, his peers who came to WWE by way of ring of honor. He's been really been one of the few that's actually managed to stick around and get pushed. And it's just disappointing that, yeah, he's just decided to carry water in the way that he has, I guess. That's again, um, that's his opinions. It's his life, you know, power to him. Oh, can, sure. I can disagree with it. And I do, but that's just the way it is. And when it comes to Seth Rollins, he is going to do that. And that's just the nature of him, I guess. And same right. with, with other people like Becky and anyone else that is there. But at the end of the day, the product isn't exactly for me anyway. So I'm okay with that. Like, I just don't tune in. Right. <laughs> Generally speaking, the one thing I would focus on this is really I'm not a huge fan of handicap matches to begin with, especially on pay-per-view. Sure. Like, and I, I did my best to create overlook that and look at it from just a purely objective point of view and like my early thoughts here is like you know they've done it really well and i can see where this is obviously leading to i would assume that the time was probably going to lead to a randy orton punk match maybe at the next pay-per-view it didn't happen that that's fine and again eventually triple h at mania but it's it's a fine way to keep to build punk up and like at the end of the day i think not only is roman he's, he's not looking necessarily weak here but Punk is looking strong. He's looking. He's looking good. Ambrose and Seth Rollins. They're not exactly looking weak either. But again, they've done the best kind of job with the bad situation. And I always compare it to the lumberjack match that Rollins and Ambrose would have at the next SummerSlam, where it's a lumberjack oh, yeah. match. And I hate fucking lumberjack matches. Yeah, they're absolutely the worst. Like I just think these are a, 
a, a stipulation from a, a bygone era. I don't want to see these anymore. Yet these two guys went out there and did the best with a, such a poor stipulation. And right. it was great to see. And I think they, they had a very tough act here with a three on one and to try and keep themselves from looking really like, like nerds and like geeks in this match. They've done a really good job at ma- not making the shields look completely weak. Totally. Yeah. And I would say, you know, something a handicap match does have in common with like a lumberjack match or what have you is just that as a stipulation, it does very much feel more of a raw or a SmackDown match than a pay-per-view match. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one thing I'm very thankful of the AEW rarely goes that well of having handicap matches. Like it's a totally. fun way to make look someone look strong, but the flip side to that is usually two guys looking very weak. Exactly right. And I, and I feel like that's exactly why AEW doesn't do that is just, and you know, there are folks out there that think that, you know, maybe AEW in certain cases protects their wrestlers too much. Like just that, I guess the, my favorite example of that is just that Adam Cole Christian match from a few weeks ago where, you know, it felt like, you know, they were maybe trying a little too hard to protect both wrestlers involved. Uh, but yeah, on the other end of the spectrum, of course, is, yeah, the WWE who, you know, will even put a lumberjack match or a, a handicap match on a pay-per-view. So yeah, but it does seem like I I am definitely more of on the AW side of things is just, uh, I mean, unless you're using like local talent or something like that, it's pretty hard to, I think, sell a handicap match to an AW wrestler compared to a WWE situation, I guess. I'm sure we'll we'll see um Mr. Uh, Mr. Singh have a match or two that might have a couple of uh, a couple of handicap matches. He has that you know that Omas Braun Strowman kind of look where he will probably need to look good throwing three or four guys around and that's fine. But I think when it comes to a pay-per-view level, there's no real need to have three established stars going head to head with another established star. And I think it's it was unnecessary booking, but they've done the best with it. And like ultimately, right. like it's not making my match the year contenders. It's not going to be the few that I remember thoroughly for years and years down the line. But at the end of the day, I think it was perfectly acceptable. It's not, you know, not necessarily offensive. And at the, at the very least, it was enjoyable. What were your thoughts? Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like the agent and the wrestlers that put this match together really did do about as good of a job as you could given the situation. And more than that for me, like why I picked this match is just that it is so edifying from a historical standpoint, because yeah, I mean, the thought of these four men being in the ring together now, you know, is almost unthinkable. And it really did almost like, you know, uh, you know, as we're talking just the, the similarities between you know, the WWE journey of, you know, a Dean Ambrose and a CM Punk, I think just makes it even more interesting from a historical standpoint, given where those two guys went, you know. How ironic, how ironic was it to see a big Colt Cabana head in the crowd while discussing art of wrestling and punk and what what would eventually transpire? And I do think, you know, if folks haven't listened to that, uh, you know, the two episodes, now is a great time to do so, you know, that now that we can see, you know, like for me, the experience of listening to these episodes is ultimately much better now, given the fact that CM Punk is, uh, you know, now happy and doing great work, as opposed to maybe, you know, when I listened to these two years ago, when, <laughs> you know, it seemed like he was never going to come back. Oh, um, and you, you, so, look at, yeah. you, you look at these episodes of art wrestling and 
punk got a, I think a lot of people have very bad faith takes where they would mention, oh, well, he's going to be on a softball podcast here with his buddy, his friend, and he's going to lob him easy questions. And I really don't think that was the case. I think it was a case of he's just going to help his buddy out. And this is just going to be his platform because Colt Cabana does very little in these actual art of wrestling. You know, he has a few chimes in here and there and he put punk leads this. This is a punk takes the mic, he sits down, crosses his legs and has a little chat with us for the best part of two hours. Well, yeah, it's definitely like, yeah, I think. And if you listen to other episodes or, you know, other podcasts that Colt has done, you see that he actually is a great interview. Oh, yes. Uh, and can be great fan. at structuring a conversation. But yeah, huge, you can yeah. tell that he knew that that moment, what, what that moment really needed was to just like live and breathe on its own. And uh, as, I mean, let's be honest, the best minds in wrestling realize that sometimes when you have a moment like that the best thing that you can do is just to like stand back and let it breathe on its own yeah i think the similarities uh, between this and maybe talk as jericho or the way keller interviews that moxley did after his wwe contract ran down they're very similar like jericho readers he just takes a step back and moxley just airs his grievances and the difference is like we said at the start is that moxley's a lot less wounded than Punk right. would be. And I think he looks more positively. He found his wife here. He made some really great friends. He's had some really great opportunities to travel the world and live his best life and be set up for life in terms of you know, financial sort of gain. And it's, right. been, it's, it's so different that like, you know, he does comment negatively on some of the practices there, but he's just like, hey, that, that's what they do. And that's good. That's just not for me. Where Punk is like, it was like Punk's whole life was leading to WrestleMania and it never quite got there. And that, that exactly right is just there for him and he, he just he's he's brutally honest about it and he, he, like, thankfully he owns that and says listen i'm honest that was what would take for me to let things go but it's just unfortunate that he never really got over it. and I, I wonder now has that wound healed has he been able to sew that up as a yeah. career has gone by and blake we like to end the show usually typically with you know the favorite moxley moment or dean ambers moment you've had throughout um, his career what is your favorite john moxley feud match or moment that you think to yourself you know what that's what i'll always come back to and i'll point people towards when i think of john moxley that is a just a great question um no it's not <laughs> you know, i <laughs> um i would say here here are some things about john moxley that resonate with me uh the first one is a bit silly but you know, I read his biography. It's like one of my, if not my favorite wrestler bio, just because of how much, you know, it reads like John Moxley talking to you. But my favorite part of the book is actually his whole chapter about sandwiches, uh, just because I'm also a huge fan of sandwiches. And I think that his critique of just how many sa sandwiches that you get don't have like a decent entry point for you to wrap your mouth around it. Uh, like you can just tell he's a real thinker, you know, like this is, this is a tough guy, but this is a tough guy that very much thinks about things and approaches things in a similar way than I, that I do. And, uh, so there's that in the ring. I mean, I think that first AEW title win, you know, and to tie it back to the, you know, this match with him and CM Punk to see the impact that, you know, both Punk and Moxley have, have had on wrestling outside of WWE, you know, like giving, you know, Punk giving AEW their first, you know, plus million rating or, 
you know, John Moxley, not just his impact on AEW, but how he has continued to use his own star power to shine a little spotlight on, you know, various indie feds that, you know, people following John Moxley might not know about if John Moxley hadn't wrestled there. And so I've always appreciated, again, you know, just speaks to the fact that, you know, his love of professional wrestling was not, you know, changed by uh, what happened with him in WWE. And I think you have to admire him for that. Lastly, and this is a bit more of a funny one. My wife just loves John Moxley and uh, very much, you know, he's one of the two wrestlers that uh, she has a little crush on. And uh, I guess it's because of his chest hair. So, uh, oh God, I would know. be no use. I have like four and I'm 27. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it really gets her going for some reason. I was trying to tell her, folks listening to this podcast might not know, but we, we try to have a musical piece on each episode of The Next Pillar. Um, just, you know, songs about wrestling. I've been trying to get her to write a song about his chest hair, just because I think, um, you know, not to threaten Renee Perquette or anything, but uh, I just think it could be a pretty cool song if she would uh, write a song about that. She did write a song about Adam Cole that's pretty fun and catchy, but Oh, and um, she's, she's got I was trying to tell her that well. she is it, a phenom- phenomenal voice. Oh, yeah. Thank you. She's also uh, also Irish. Her last name is Irish. And that's uh, yeah, that's where, you know, her family comes from way back when. And uh, so I assume she likes potatoes and Guinness, just like every one of us. <laughs> that is actually pretty right on the nose. Yeah, um, yeah, she is. She's an incredible cook. But yeah, anything involving potatoes, it's like you have that extra. You got that extra 10 percent when you're Irish and you're cooking potatoes. Um, I've also always heard, you know, here in Portland that the weather here is very similar to how it is in Ireland. So it's shit. Um, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> say that, but, you know, those of us who live here, you'll learn to appreciate, uh, you know, being misted on almost Aww. every day. It's not so, too warm. It's not too but, cold. It's just right. That's the way I look at it. But like, you'll never get a good day of, oh, God, this is, this is sun, it's really sunshine weather. Never really happens. Right. So, uh, but yeah, to go back, I'm sorry if that wasn't those three things weren't specific enough, but I guess no. those are just the three things that come to mind when I think about, you know, John Moxley and um, or even pro- that promo that he did right after, you know, leaving the WWE where, you know, John Moxley is not a very online guy, but he was still able to, you know, win Twitter for a day. Um, I just thought that was a cool moment. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of a lot of moments, but I guess in ring moments, yeah, that first AEW title win is is always, I guess, when I picture John Moxley in AEW, that's always the moment that you know flashes through my memory. I guess just like the wristbands that were on the fans' arms that night. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's and yeah. I love really asking funny. that question because I do think myself. Oh, they'll say probably the same answer every time, and nearly every single guest bar one has has had a unique experience when it comes to john moxley whether it was jerry and gcw or you know uh alan and you know the double nothing entrance it's just great to hear that like, you know this guy has obviously he has a range where people appreciate different facets of him and it's like this is listen like i said i'm not some super fan but i appreciate the guy i think he's really fascinating and these are kind of the things that make him fascinating he has so many nice little moments and nice little segments throughout his career that people just really appreciate right well yeah exactly uh the same with cm punk and we will 
should they ever, yeah, have a match, we will definitely have to do this again, I think. Oh, awesome. Blake, it's yeah. been an absolute treasure having you on. Your caramel, smooth-like voice has been a treat to listen to for the last hour or so. Where can people reach you? What would you like to plug? Here oh, yeah, floor. well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blake on Wax. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at NextPillarAW. Although I will say I'm doing a bit with our Twitter account where the only person that our account follows is Tony Khan. And so if you're only following one person on Twitter, it's really hard to get new Twitter followers. So I think we only have 18 followers right now. Well, just know it's part of a bit that I'm doing. Uh, Good man. Because uh, otherwise, of course, we'd have thousands, I'm sure. Uh, but um, I, uh, yeah, every Monday, uh, I try to have an episode out. And going forward, something I did want to plug on here just a bit is that I am looking for more guest hosts to come on. Uh, just because part of the show is I do a pretty lengthy mailbag segment where listeners can write in if they want to see a topic discussed on the show. And what I've realized is that some of these emails I've gotten, you know, are four or five paragraphs and have some pretty specific ideas that would either be weird for me to read that long of an email or would just be too hard for me to paraphrase. And so what I'm trying to do lately is have guest hosts come on where, you know, if you want to talk about a specific topic related to AEW that you don't hear uh, talked anywhere, you know, email nextpillarAW at gmail.com. And um, yeah, we can maybe set something up because I'm wanting, uh, you know, the the tagline for the podcast has always been your AEW podcast. And that's not meant to be just a tagline. I'm definitely wanting it to be a collaborative show because, you know, especially a one-man podcast uh, can feel a little stagnant when it's just uh, one person talking, even if uh, some people like you do like the sound of my voice. Uh, I do want to kind of vary uh, the opinions that are presented on the show. So I uh, just wanted to plug that. Oh, good. I'm like, if people were going to listen to the AEW, the next pillar podcast, why should they do it? What do you offer that no one else does? Well, I, I you know, I think beyond just uh you know the musical aspect because we have some pretty um we have some pretty fun songs big big fan of the in, cm in, punk in the... tune a few weeks ago big oh fan yeah of... yeah my, my wife worked up a uh, a little chip tune cover I love a bit of sense yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool um beyond just the musical aspect what i try to do is bring a balanced uh blend of takes so uh there's a tendency in podcasts to uh, really go the recency bias route or um, have a tendency to like overreact to the moments of the day. Uh, whereas, you know, a, something like that or like a review show can be pretty myopic in terms of what's going on on a week to week basis. What I try to do as much as possible is like pull the camera back and see the big picture of what's going on with AEW. Because I think especially people like us, you know, that have that perspective of, you know, how wrestling used to be and how the WWE is now, for a lot of us to have an alternative like AEW 20 years ago would seem unthinkable, um, where it's like now I almost feel like a lot of people, especially on Twitter, are kind of taking AEW for granted. Oh, and that's, uh, in that's why ways. I support it so much, because right. it's something that was... I, WWE, well, it has a lot of amazing aspects and I won't shit over them. It's just not for me anymore. They weren't satisfying my professional wrestling needs, for lack of a better word, where AEW seemed to be more catering to that. So when 
this is here and I'm like I want to make sure I'm buying the pay-per-view so this sticks around for another couple of years right well and I think it's all it's also making sure that you present the positives and the negatives of a thing where yeah I mean on my first episode uh part of my criticism was just how often you'll listen to you know a, a two-hour three-hour podcast uh and come away with it just wondering if the people even like what they're discussing you know and to my point i'm trying to showcase like hey you know here's what AEW is doing right and not also being afraid to say like hey you know here's let's have some more consistent storytelling let's have uh you know a more robust and a more um more attention paid to the the women's division you know i think um yeah, I think making sure that both of the the, the positives and the negatives are, uh, you know, presented on a weekly basis is definitely part of uh, what I'm trying to do. Not to say that I'm doing like a CNN crossfire thing where, you know, I'm trying to do the both sides of something. It's more of just when I use the word balanced, I kind of just mean like, again, pulling that camera back and seeing the, the bigger picture of uh, where AEW and the, ultimately the wrestling industry at large is going. And um, while I won't always agree with everything you say, and that's fine, I will always say, listen, Blake is at least fair, if anything. He's fair, he's honest, and again, pretty easy to listen to. What more do you want? Well, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I've been a huge fan, um, yeah, of this Wild Thing podcast, and I'm excited to see. Uh, I know you talked on Twitter about maybe, you know, moving on to some other things when you're done. I'm stoked to see what you have in store for folks next. Oh, well, listen, that. Things are in the pipeline, and hopefully in the next few weeks, things will become a bit more apparent. But that's all I will say for now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, great, Blake, great, great foreshadowing. Blake, thank you so much for coming on. Sure. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks a lot, Joey. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.